The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Vinnie Politan with another audio edition of Judgment with Ashley Banfield on the Court TV podcast. This week's episode focuses on the murder trial of a legendary record producer and subject of the Showtime limited docuseries, Bill Spector. He stood trial for the 2003 murder of actress Lana Clarkson, which occurred in his home. Defense attorneys claimed she committed suicide, but the evidence painted a different picture, featuring interviews with friend of Lana Clarkson, Patty Spaziani, L.A. County Sheriff's Detective Mark Lillenfeld, and defense attorney Bradley Brunin. This is Judgment of Bill Spector. This is the Court TV Podcast. February 3rd, 2003, a single gunshot rang out just after 5 a.m., shattering the quiet darkness in Alhambra, California. The location, the palatial home of mega music producer Phil Spector. His part-time chauffeur, Adriano D'Souza, was waiting in Spector's new car in the driveway. He heard the shot. Spector had spent the evening of February 2nd restaurant hopping, but decided to wrap it all up at the House of Blues. That was around 1.45 a.m. And it was there that he met the beautiful hostess of the exclusive foundation room, Lana Clarkson. Phil asked Lana to come back to his castle, the nickname that he gave that sprawling home. He suggested the two of them have a drink there. And within just a few short hours, Lana Clarkson would be dead. that Phil Spector had been charged with murder, my jaw dropped. I knew who he was, and anyone who lived in the 60s knew who he was. Anyone who cared about music knew who he was. He was a genius. He had invented a thing called the wall of sound. And it changed how all recordings sounded. And he was just running the Ronettes. I mean, he made them famous. He had that great hit with the teddy bears called To Know Him Is To Love Him. Phil Spector had never produced a song before he produced To Know Him Is To Love Him. I was 16 and a half. Phil Spector said, I love your voice. I want to write a song for your voice. He wrote the song, To Know Him Is To Love Him. To know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. It came off of Phil's father's epitaph. He committed suicide. So here's a guy that was Hollywood royalty. 
and he'd worked with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and everybody else. He's a genius. He's an icon. There's nobody like him. He's got the kooky hair. And he lives in the castle. The actions of the Hitler-like district attorney and his stormtrooping henchmen are reprehensible, unconscionable, and despicable. And then suddenly he was back in the news again, but for the worst possible reason. He was charged with killing Lana Clarkson, an actress who you probably had never really seen her in much of anything, but you might have recognized her face. Lana Clarkson, she was working at the House of Blues on Sunset Strip. And one day, Phil Spector invites her to his home. The driver brings them to his castle. They were there in the home for about an hour. And suddenly, the driver, who's waiting outside, hears a gunshot. And soon thereafter, Phil Spector comes running out of the back door with a gun in his hand, saying, I think I've killed somebody. Sir? Yeah. OK, what happened? Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, OK, someone you boss up someone? Yeah, I think so. You heard a shot? Yeah, I have a shot outside. Yeah, he had a gun in his hand. Police arrive at the scene and find Lana Clarkson slumped over on a chair in the foyer with an obvious gunshot wound to the head. Clearly, we had a death that was not a natural death. Most likely, there was uh, an indication it was a criminal death. It wasn't a suicide, and it did not appear to be an accident. The information that we had at that time led us to believe that there was, you know, criminal conduct that resulted in this woman's death. He said that Ms. Clarkson shot herself and that uh, she had brought the gun and it was her weapon, not his, and that she just decided to spur the moment to take her own life. It was a pretty ridiculous, unbelievable story. Mr. Jackson, are you ready to proceed? I am, Your Honor. You may proceed. The evidence is going to paint a picture of a man who, on February 3rd, 2003, put a loaded pistol in Lana Clarkson's mouth, inside her mouth, and shot her to death. Through the presentation of the evidence in this case, you're going to be introduced to the real Philip Spector. The evidence will show, ladies and gentlemen, that the defendant has a pattern. And that pattern began to emerge all the way back to the late 1980s. He had, before, pulled guns on women who spurned his advances. That was a thing that he had done. Did she spurn his advances? We don't know. But we did know that this wouldn't have been the first time that Phil Spector would have pulled a gun on a woman. The back door began to creep open. Philip Spector stepped out on that porch. He had a gun in his hand, a pistol in his right hand, and he confessed, I think I killed somebody of all of the evidence in this case. We're confident that you'll be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that Philip Spector is guilty of the murder of Lana Clarkson. The evidence will show this was a tragic accident. And the evidence will also show that back on February 3 of 03, before they even had a cause of death, let alone a manner of death, they had murder on their mind. Murder on their mind. The evidence will show he had no motive to hurt this woman. Most importantly, the evidence is going to show conclusively that 
the gun was held by the decedent when it fired. So when you hear all the evidence and we come before you again, I'm confident you'll find that Philip is not guilty of this most serious charge. And so I ran to my car. He's running after me. Did he have the Uzi as he's running after me? He has the Uzi as he's running after me. What started as a dinner with a high school friend in Beverly Hills that February 2nd ended with Lana Clarkson slumped over, dead from a gunshot wound, in Phil Spector's self-anointed castle. There were no other witnesses inside the home, but his driver that night, Adriano D'Souza, was in the driveway waiting to take Clarkson back to her car, which was still parked near the House of Blues. D'Souza's testimony would be central to the prosecution's case, but would the state be able to prove that it was Phil Spector who pulled the trigger. I believe that Phil Spector was a genius. I truly believe that. And there is a thin line between genius and madness. We spoke very briefly to D'Souza, and he was the limousine driver hired that night for the defendant. And he gave us a, a relatively detailed, accurate, pinpointed description of the events and what had occurred from the time that he arrived to work to pick Mr. Spector up, going out socializing, taking him to a couple different restaurants and bars, and then uh, bringing back Mr. Spector with Lana Clarkson. And he was outside waiting in the car when he heard a gunshot. Did you hear Mr. Spector have a conversation with Ms. Clarkson? Yes. What did he say? He invited her to go to the castle. And what was her response? Uh, first was no. What happened after that? Uh, he insisted. He asked like uh, three times more or two times more. Let's go to the castle, let's go to the castle. So he was insisting? Yes. And what was her response? He said that she could like lose the job if uh, she got like a, a ride okay. from some customers. All right. Did Mr. Spector continue to insist that um, Ms. Clarkson join him? Yes. Did he, in fact, Mr. Spector, convince Ms. Clarkson to get a ride from him? Yes. Did you recognize the people in that video clip? Yes. Was that Mr. Spector and Ms. Clarkson coming out of the House of Blues? Yes. Did you drive Mr. Spector and Ms. Clarkson back to the castle? Yes. What was the next thing that you heard or saw as you waited outside? I waited in the car until like around 5 o'clock in the morning. So this is about two hours? Uh, yes, around two hours. And what happened? Uh, I heard a pole, uh, a noise. What kind of noise? What did it sound like? So like a pole. Like a, you're saying pole, like pole. we might say pow? Pow. Okay. We'll wait like for a minute probably, and then Mr. Spector opened the door. Opened the back door? Yes. What happened when you saw Mr. Spector come out of that back door? At that time, he, he had the gun in his hand. Hi, it's Phil uh, Spector driver. I think my boss killed somebody. Please, can, can you send me a... Uh, I think your boss killed somebody? Yes, sir. Yeah. Back in February of 2003, did you believe at that time that the prosecution, the police, uh, that entity, the police and prosecution together, had the power to help you with your immigration status? No, not at that time. 
Mr. D'Souza was not a citizen. In fact, he was illegally in the country. He was illegally working. It is a motivating factor, and we have found it to be a motivating factor. In many instances, people who need to get their status adjusted know that the prosecution, uh, the police, they can intervene with the immigration authorities and get special types of visas. Within a short period of time thereafter, you asked them to help you, though, didn't you? I did not. Well, through your lawyer, you asked to have I, tr I tried to find a lawyer to ask them that. This one that I have right now was the last lawyer. Well, once you find one that can help you, you stop looking, right? Yes. One of the defense tactics was to, as it often is in cases, especially high-profile cases, is to kind of impugn the character or the uh, ability of, of a witness who's giving testimony. I mean, it's, it's America. That's the way it works. That's where the scales are balanced. At some point, were you assigned a specific duty with respect to this crime scene? Yes. And what was that? I was assigned to be the lead detective in charge of the crime scene and processing the evidence and taking overall responsibility for the events that occurred at the crime scene. At that time, because the scene was secure, it's where the United States Constitution comes into play. So we couldn't just walk in the house and start taking pictures and printing and photographs and looking for fingerprints and stuff. So we had to obtain a search warrant. So that took several hours. When I arrived to the scene, I, I didn't have any state of mind as to what kind of death it would be. After I got there and talked to some of the detectives that were there and learned the facts that were available at that time, it appeared to be a murder. And that was, what, within a few minutes of your arrival? About 10 or 15 minutes, yes, sir. When we got there, the victim, Ms. Clarkson, was deceased. She was seated in a chair. She clearly was suffering from what appeared to be a gunshot wound to the mouth. There was a handgun that was underneath her leg on the floor that turned out to be the murder weapon. It was a two-inch blue steel Colt six-shot 38 caliber revolver. Ultimately, when we searched the house for other evidence, we wound up founding like four or five other two-inch blue steel Colt revolvers. Mr. Spector had a thing for two-inch blue steel Colt revolvers, evidently. You've also repeatedly referred to the location that you're investigating as a, as a crime scene. Um, that could be a descriptive term or it could be a term of art. Uh, in this particular case, had you already made the determination when you arrived that this was a crime scene as opposed to an investigation scene? No, not until after I'd arrived and gathered the initial set of facts. It's not obvious very often between a suicide and a homicide. And here's the rub. If the police don't declare something criminal, if they don't declare a homicide, then that's the end of the investigation. A suicide is, you know, there's a death certificate, and that's the end. Nobody is uh, thought to be a suspect. It's over. So it's very important that when you get a situation where you don't know if it's a homicide or a suicide, you have to assume it's a homicide, collect your evidence, and then try to rule out homicide. You formed an opinion that Jess is guilty. The objection Just like the police, the just like the media. Mr. Cutler. When Lana Clarkson left the House of Blues with Phil Spector, she had no idea he had a history of threatening his dates with loaded guns. In fact, when he came to the entrance of the private foundation room, she had no idea who Phil Spector even was. And Phil had no idea who she was either.
Neither did the jury, who would hear two different ways that Lana was described, both the hopeful, upbeat, loyal friend looking to start a new chapter in her life, and the down-and-out 40-year-old actress struggling to find parts who often turned to alcohol and prescription drugs. How that jury would see Lana Clarkson could ultimately decide Phil Spector's fate. We all have different sides to us, and all your terrible dark sides with Phil Spector is allowed to run rampant. It's almost like a perfect storm. He was known for having held some women hostage with guns. He never shot anybody, but he, he threatened them. The elevator doors opened up and uh, Dorothy Melvin and Phil Spector exit the elevator. They're having an, an argument. I've never seen this with him when he wasn't drinking. I only saw it with him when he was drinking. He snaps and he turns on a dime and he becomes a lunatic. Phil Spector was saying, uh, that I ought to put a bullet in a head right now. There was a gun pointed at my temple, actually touching my temple. He had um, his gun with him, and he pulled a chair and put it in front of the door and said that I wasn't going anywhere. He said, if you leave, I'll blow your head off. He had a gun to my face, a pistol of some sort. And he had it here, here, here. He put it all over me. He took his right hand that was holding the revolver and smacked me in the side of the head and said, I told you to get the back in the house. And so I ran to my car. He's running after me. Did he have the Uzi as he's running he after me? He has the Uzi as he's running after me. Did you, after the incident, ever allow yourself to be alone with the defendant? Never. There was this woman that looked at Phil's hair and went, oh! Phil became so incensed that he said, where's my gun? I want to kill her for making fun of him. And the next minute we were standing there and Phil had a gun in his hand. The bottom line, I remember closing my front door and saying, as long as I live, I will never be in Phil Spector's presence again. The most difficult part of the case was attempting to avoid the emotional consequence of these series of events that stretched out over a period of decades, which was designed almost exclusively to paint Mr. Spector as a bad character, an evil person who wasn't worthy of consideration of reasonable doubt. But you formed an opinion with regard to what happened to Ms. Clarkson. Just yes, no, or I can't answer that yes or no. Did you form an opinion in your mind? At what time? At any time. When I heard that this yes. girl had died yes. the same way? You formed an opinion, Ms. Ogden. No. You formed an opinion of just as guilty. The objection is... Just like the police, the just like the media. Your Honor, Mr. Objection. Cutler, I am going to say this now for the last time. Otherwise, I will take other steps. Ladies and gentlemen, you will disregard what Mr. Cutler just said. The objection was being made. I am sustaining the objection. His remarks are irrelevant. They are stricken. You will disregard them. You may now ask your next question and lower Yes, your I will. I'm sorry, Your Honor. Mr. Cutler and the judge were at loggerheads almost immediately. He's very boisterous and loud. The judge considered his approach to the witnesses to be badgering. I don't know if that's ubiquitous to New York, but it's not the way things are usually done here in Los Angeles. I think with Lana, she was gorgeous. She was six foot tall. 
When she walked into a room, every single head turned to her because not only was she gorgeous looking, she had a great sense of humor. You could just see it with her presence. Would you recognize her if she walked in the room? Oh, I mean, absolutely. She's like six, one or two, and you'd recognize Lana because she was funny and vivacious. You didn't offer her any other part, did you? Uh, no. She might have come in on something on Pearl Harbor, but I can't recall. I just happened to come to the House of Blues. I was surprised to see Lana there. And she told me she had just taken this job. And she was excited to find that she may have found her niche of what she wanted to do. She wanted to learn the business side of it. She needed to learn how to do budget spreadsheets and that part that she didn't know. There come a time when you know that she took a, what I'll call a corporate job. Yes, at the House of Blues. And she wasn't very happy about that job, was she? At first, she was very happy. Okay. And how did it change? It was hard for her to take a regular job after being an actress. And it hurt her and it humiliated her. But she would always put on a happy face because that's the kind of gal she was. I think acting to her was, it was never a be-all to end-all. It was something that she liked doing. She certainly wasn't lamenting being overaged and losing out on roles or anything like that. During the course of your representation, how would you describe Lana Clarkson as an actor in Los Angeles? Extremely, extremely marketable and viable, a moneymaker. Let me focus your attention on your opinion about the quote-unquote B-movie actress label. I, I don't believe that she was a B-list type of actor. Uh, How would you describe Lana Clarkson as an actor? Lana was a working actor. We went to dinner one night at Spago. Oh, my God, I'm not kidding. Every freaking A-list actor and everyone that was in there was coming by and slipping her their phone numbers. We were cracking up. She had to take that job, and it was really hard for her to work there because she had to pull out chairs for people that she had beaten out roles for at one point in her career. Well, we talked about making it in Hollywood and what it took and all the younger actresses. And she said, you know, if you don't make it by the time you're 40 in this business, you might as well just give up. She was depressed and she was absolutely out of her mind. She said, I've had it. And of course, working as a hostess would drive anyone to suicide, wouldn't it? No one is ever comfortable raising the issue of character on someone who's either been injured or killed. However, that evidence was there. It wasn't made up. And a defense is about doubt, doubt based upon reason, doubt based upon reasonable interpretation of evidence. We thought it was there. I just want to direct your attention to one portion of, quote unquote, a hard letter to write this year, okay? In the first paragraph, you wrote the following. My Lana, my best friend, my right arm, my inseparable sister, was violently and abruptly taken from me at the hands of Phil Spector, February 3rd, 2003. You remember writing that? Yes. Why don't you explain to the jury why you wrote that in the Christmas letter for that year, please? The reason I put that in there the way I did is because I was trying not to <sighs> describe one way or another as to what happened because, you know, no one really knows what happened. So that's just how I approached it in my own words and tried to make people abreast of what had happened. 
to my life. You told Mr. Rosen that you were trying to be politically correct. Yes. And you said you were trying not to describe one way or the other what happened, right? Isn't that what you just told him? Yes. And that you were not pointing a finger or giving an opinion. Isn't that what you told Mr. Mm -hmm. Rosen? Yes. Lana Clarkson was violently and abruptly taken from me at the hands of Phil Spector. Don't you think that gives an exact opinion, tells your readers of that letter, it's exactly what you thought happened, that she died at the hands of Phil Spector? Isn't that what that says? It was my way of just saying it was because of the situation that everyone is, it's in the news, people are talking about that situation. That's how I meant to say it. Isn't the truth of the matter, Ms. Pye, that what you told Detective Tomlin was the truth, and what you wrote here was your opinion? Isn't that really what's the truth here? You know, I think you're putting words in my mouth, okay? From day one, I was scared that something had happened. If you want to put words in my mouth, go ahead. With all the testing that you did on this gun, did you put anywhere in your notes who fired this gun on February 3rd, 2003? There were a number of unanswered questions in the 2007 trial of record-producing tycoon Phil Spector. Did Lana Clarkson kill herself that night at Phil Spector's mansion? Or did Spector point and fire the gun that killed her? Why was there not more blood spatter on his clothing? And why was there no blood spatter on her legs? And then there was the question of her purse which was still draped over her shoulder as her body sat slumped in that chair at the front door. Was Lana Clarkson getting ready to leave? And was Phil Spector not quite ready to let her go? I want you to think for a second. What is the last thing that a woman does before she leaves the house? She takes her purse, her keys, her cell phone, puts it on her shoulder, carries it, whatever, and walks out the door. Lana Clarkson's purse was on her shoulder. So do I think that he killed her? Yes. The simplest explanation is she was on her way out. She wanted to get out, and Phil Spector didn't want her to live because he was after something else. There was this three-pack of Viagra. How many were in it when you found it? There was a plastic foil-backed container for Viagra. There was one Viagra pill in it and then a spot for two pills that were missing. I thought at that time, as I do today, that this murder had sexual overtones to it and that the Viagra would prove or disprove certain facts. The home was dark. There were candles lit on the fireplace. There was alcohol out in front of the fireplace on the coffee table. There was alcohol in the bathroom off the foyer. The person that she was, the person that the defendant was, all those facts in my mind played into a, a sexually motivated murder. Based on not only the physical evidence, but the, the testimonial evidence, the circumstantial evidence, there's a lot of different kinds of evidence, but all of those things combined certainly made me believe that a crime had occurred. The evidence was there to, to bring a, a criminal complaint against the defendant, against Mr. Spector. While we were processing the crime scene, Mr. Spector had been arrested. He had made statements that Ms. Clarkson had taken her own life. And, and it was very obvious 
very rapidly that that was a line of bull and it wasn't true at all. She may have accidentally taken her own life. She may have purposefully taken her own life. She may have been eating the gun with her dancing. She may have been doing anything. I don't know why, when, how, or where, in what circumstance she may have taken her own life, whether she planned to or not. Now, you said that you got to the scene about 5.30. That is correct. Now, you called it a crime scene. Had you made a judgment as to whether or not it was a crime scene? When I respond to a scene, it's always considered a crime scene. Okay. Did you ever come to believe yourself with your state of mind that you may have compromised a blood spatter evaluation? Um, I do not believe that I compromised evidence. Part of the evidence that was important was whether or not there was blood spatter on the rug and how far it projected out from where Ms. Clarkson was sitting. Much of that got destroyed by not securing the scene. One of the things that's very difficult in this field is obviously we cannot line up people and shoot them to see what happens. Blood does not flow uphill. Blood also doesn't fly around corners. And there appears to be on her face and down the side of her neck what is referred to as smeared blood, blood that's been wiped or moved around. And there's actually blood flowing on top of the blood smear. When they examined the body of Lana Clarkson, they found that there was blood on her clothing, but not on her legs. Her legs were outstretched after she was shot. What covered her legs from acquiring back spatter Okay, somebody was over her or covering up that area, protecting that area from becoming spattered. The forensic evidence, I thought, was compelling that he did not hold the gun in her mouth and shoot it. The absence of spatter, the absence of significant amount of tissue or other expelled materials on his clothing left me with a doubt. You looked at a number of materials uh, in this case and ultimately came to a conclusion as to the manner of death of Lana Clarkson. Is that true? Yes. And what was your uh, conclusion after doing your evaluation in this particular case? That she died of a self-inflicted wound. There's no objective scientific evidence that anyone else ha held the gun. Everything else is speculative. I noticed that uh, the gun uh, on the very front sight of the gun, the rear portion of the front sight, had some white material that seemed to be embedded in the site structure itself. The site groove uh, gave a, a DNA profile that matched the DNA profile from Lana Clarkson. How about the left side of the wood grip? In this sample, I saw a small amount of DNA that indicated there was some male DNA present. With all the testing that you did on this gun, and all the descriptions and the summary that Mr. Jackson just gave you, did you put anywhere in your notes any conclusion as to who fired this gun on February 3rd, 2003? I did not. The trial process, particularly for criminal trials, uh, because of the consequences, particularly in a case that charges a homicide, uh, the consequences are so enormous that anything that potentially would raise a doubt as to the truth of the accusation. It's our duty to present that. If Mr. Spector did not pull the trigger, he wasn't guilty.
were you able to make a determination in your opinion as a forensic pathologist as to the manner of death for Lana Clarkson? Yes. And what is that manner of death? The jury had now heard about Phil Spector's genius, his temper, and his fondness for guns. They also heard what happened when he drank. Stories about Lana Clarkson's life also filled that courtroom. Funny ones about the hopeful and loyal friend, but also darker tales alleging she was depressed and suicidal and failing as an actress. They saw and heard what investigators discovered at the crime scene. So what was left? The forensic science. What wound did you find or wound did you find that Ms. Clarkson had suffered? Ms. Clarkson received a gunshot wound to her oral, oral cavity or the mouth. Was this a fatal wound? Yes. Did the bullet pass through her oral cavity and into other areas of her body? Yes, it did. To keep it simple, the weapon's in the mouth. It was discharged. The bullet then nicked the top of the tongue and lacerated the tongue, causing hemorrhage to occur. And the bullet continued front to back direction. It hit eventually the spinal column or the neck bone. And in the process of doing that, it broke the neck bone. That bullet, as it broke the bone, it went through that spinal cord and tore it apart, causing a massive ragged laceration effect. Of course, bleeding to occur. And keep in mind, when that occurs, that cord is completely severed. So there's no connection now with the brain anymore. This is an immediate incapacitation wound given the location. She may have taken, perhaps at best, one really shallow breath, if at best, which would account for some of the blood aspiration that I did see. She will not be able to exhale. She won't be able to talk. She won't be able to cough, give any motion. She'll lose consciousness immediately. That bullet took out not only the vertebrae in the neck, but also severed the spinal cord completely. And what that means is that there was no way she could have expirated blood because of this, the severance of the spinal cord. So put this in combination, the death clearly, in my opinion, was the gunshot wound of both the head and neck that caused Ms. Clarkson to die immediately. Were you able to make a determination, in your opinion, as a forensic pathologist, as to the manner of death for Lana Clarkson. Yes. And what is that manner of death? In your the manner opinion? of death in this case is homicide. First of all, women don't usually go to somebody else's home, hunt around for a gun, find a gun loaded, and then stick it, the muzzle in their mouths, and pull the trigger, even if they're maximally depressed. And the medical examiner, by the way, studied Lana Clarkson's history, not a full psychological autopsy, but certainly enough information was garnered to tell the ME that she was not depressed. Usually, the self-inflicted wounds are interoral. Is that the, the case? No. Uh, interoral wounds, in other words, where the gun's in the mouth, are usually self-inflicted. Did, did I state that correctly? Okay, intraoral gunshot wounds are commonly seen in the mouth. If someone's gonna commit suicide in the head, most common sight's the right temple. Now, with reference to this blood on the hands, and, and, and are there some uh, cases, a number of cases, where people shoot themselves and they get absolutely no blood on their hands or wrists? That's correct. Okay, so the fact that there is no blood on their hands and wrists doesn't mean that they did not shoot themselves? That's correct. Okay, and the fact that if there is blood on their hands or wrists, it just suggests that they may have done that. 
as a result of shooting themselves. That's partly correct, but you got to think of the flip side, too, because the other side is that they could have been in the vicinity as a weapon's being discharged. You know, the blowback, as I've been describing, could be coming out of the mouth, and they're protecting themselves, and it could go onto the hands. So there's two ways to look at it. There was incomplete uh, uh, transection of the spinal cord by the bullet, and the rest of the spinal cord was torn during transportation so that when we saw at the autopsy table, Dr. Pena saw was, uh, was uh, a, uh, f a full transaction, but it didn't start out that way. You weren't called by the court in this case, were you? Yes no. or no? You weren't called by the prosecution in this case, were you? Yes no. or no? But you were called by the defense in this case, correct? Yes. The same defense team on which your wife is uh, an attorney, correct? Yes. And in fact, you're being paid by the same person that's paying your wife, correct? Yes. That would be Mr. Spector, correct? Yes. I say to anybody who commits a crime, just get enough money to get yourself some really good experts and some good defense attorneys because that could make the difference between you going to prison or not. And look, when you've got a lot of money, uh, you can get whatever you want. Uh, experts should not be for sale, but they are. Many experts are for sale. I'm not one of them, but some experts are for sale. You know the real Phil Spector. And if you thought to yourself, I tell her not to go, you know in your heart of hearts, he's responsible for her death. He killed her. After almost six months and more than 70 witnesses, the 2007 trial of music legend Phil Spector was coming to a close. The central question, did Phil Spector kill Lana Clarkson or did Lana kill herself? To say there was drama in this trial is an understatement. A former lawyer for Phil Spector was held in contempt of court. There were accusations the defense withheld discovery. And there were claims of missing evidence. Then, just before closing arguments, one of Spector's lead defense attorneys said, enough. I have always represented and defended my clients in a manner that I believed was in their best interests. Uh, there is a difference of opinion between Mr. Spector and me regarding the strategy to be employed in the handling of the summations. By that, I mean, who's going to sum up? We're a unified defense, but my application is in the nature of an application to be relieved. Okay, Mr. Spector, is that correct? Uh, that is correct. All right. All right, thank you, sir. It was not going well. And Mr. Cutler, he felt that, and so he decided to withdraw. The impact of Mr. Cutler leaving was not considerable. Mr. Rosen and I had prepared the examinations for the lay witnesses, the fact witnesses, so we just stepped into that role. Lana Clarkson, through the evidence in this case, has suffered and endured something that no human being should have to endure. She's been murdered twice. She was murdered once on February 3rd, 2003 by Philip Spector when he put a gun in her mouth and that gun went off. And her character has been assassinated over the last four months through the presentation of the defense evidence, attempting to paint her in a way that simply isn't true. It simply isn't true. If you could say but one thing to Lana Clarkson, you can say but one thing to her, one sentence, one phrase, even two little words, 
even if you had to whisper it so he couldn't hear. All 17 of you are thinking the same thing. You'd lean over and you'd whisper, don't go. And if you thought to yourself, I tell her not to go, it's because you know in your heart of hearts, he's responsible for her death. He killed her. The only question is, who put the gun in Lana Clarkson's mouth and who pulled the trigger? Those are the questions, and those are the questions you need to seek. Your only job is to decide whether the government has proven beyond a reasonable doubt that Philip Spector put the gun in her mouth and pulled the trigger. Nothing else, nothing more. You know, people are not all good, they're not all bad, they're not all happy, and they're not all sad. People can be both fundamentally happy and sad. And it's what they do with these emotions in a split second of their life that can change their future forever. Whatever happened, happiness and hope at the time of Lana Clarkson's death were not her primary conditions. I know how excited she was about the next chapter in her life. And it was really hard sitting there and keeping your mouth shut when you not only hear them portraying her as being suicidal, but actually getting people that she knew to basically get up on the stand and lie. Of course, we all have times where we're like, oh, we're not real happy, but I don't even think the word depression was part of her vocabulary. She would just pick up and go on and always look at the bright side of everything. I thought Linda's closing was very persuasive. Our task is to raise a doubt. It's not to persuade uh, to a high degree of factual certainty. It's to raise a doubt. I thought we had raised a doubt, and I was hopeful that the jury would find that. How many ballots have you taken? Total or just just Total. Six. Six. In our trial, we didn't have a verdict. The jury came back, they were hung 10 to 2, 10 for guilt. And I thought that the two jurors that had felt that there was a reasonable doubt had persuasive reasons for doing so. I think the other jurors were more persuaded by the emotional and uh, prejudicial character evidence than the what I considered more factual forensic evidence. At this time, I will find that the jury is unable to arrive at a verdict and declare a mistrial in this matter. A hung jury is, in many instances, a disappointment. It's better than a guilty verdict, but it's, it's, it's not something we celebrate. The jury is discharged. On behalf of all the judges of the court, please accept my thanks for your time and effort. I think L.A. is the best place in the world for a celebrity to face trial because I think that most juries are going to be willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that they might not get in another place. What do we expect? It's about having a good lawyer and being a music icon. Just like with Jackson. I mean, when, when the closing arguments were going on in Jackson, Janet was in the front row and one of the jurors winked at her. And that's what was going on with Phil Spector. I believe that Phil Spector, as a man of music, was a hundred plus. On the other hand, I believe that Phil Spector, as a human being, was a minus zero.
it breaks my heart. Breaks my heart for a life that's no longer here. We forget the victims. Can't do that. You can't forget the victims. It took the jury 44 hours, over 12 days, to come up with that 10-2 deadlocked decision. But two years later, in 2009, prosecutors did it again. They retried Phil Spector. And this time, the jury found him guilty of second-degree murder. Phil Spector was sentenced to 19 years to life. I'm Ashley Banfield. Thanks for watching. There you have it, another compelling case straight from the Court TV archives. If you want to see the full California versus Phil Spector trial, you can watch it on demand on the Court TV website. Just check the show notes for the link. And be sure to tune into my show, Closing Arguments, weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern, where we dive deeper into the biggest legal stories of the day. Thank you so much for downloading. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.